I'm Rachel Hernandez, real estate investor turned mobile home investor and best-selling author. I make a living investing in mobile homes for cash flow for long-term passive income. After many mistakes and lessons learned, I've been able to create the kind of life where I can do the types of things I want to do, not have to do. I created the Adventures in Mobile Homes podcast to share with you what I've learned so you can spend more time with family, friends, and do things you love. Mobile home investing can help you get there. If you want to hear real stories with practical and actionable advice you can use from someone who's been in the trenches and who's still investing today to create the type of life you love, then you're in the right place. Let's get started. Well, hey there, and welcome back to another episode of the Adventures of Mobile Homes podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Hernandez, aka Mobile Home Girl of AdventuresOfMobileHomes.com. Thank you so much for joining me here on the 74th episode of the podcast. Now, just in case you missed it, be sure to check out the last episode where I talk about my new video commentary with my market insight and latest update on the real estate industry and how it affects mobile home investors, including the behind the scenes of what I've been doing lately for my own mobile home investing business and other projects that I'm working on. You can check it out at www.adventuresofmobilehomes.com slash 73. So today, I'm going to share with you another guest interview with my author and mobile home investor friend, Adrian Smood. Now, Adrian is the author of the book, How to Buy Mobile Homes, The Unorthodox Guide to Capitalizing on a Hidden Niche in Real Estate Investing. And today, Adrian is going to talk about his real estate investing journey, and how he got into investing in mobile homes with land. We're going to be talking about how he found the niche of mobile home investing, his experience investing in mobile homes and land, including how he finds these deals, how he works with both sellers and renters, and the types of properties he tends to buy, and how he handles the fix-up work including why he enjoys being a landlord and buy-and-hold mobile home investor. Yes, you heard that right. Adrian enjoys being a landlord. Now, when was the last time you heard that statement? So, if you'd like to learn more, be sure to tune in to this interview. And definitely stay for the entire conversation because you don't want to miss out on Adrian's special free gift to you at the end just for being a valued listener of the show. So are you ready? Here goes. Hi, y'all. This is Rachel Hernandez, a.k.a. Mobile Home Girl of AdventuresOfMobileHomes.com. Thank you so much for coming uh, back on the show to this podcast. I've got an exciting podcast episode today. We've got a special guest interview. Now, one of the things I want to do for the show for this year of 2023 is get more authors on the show. So today I've got mobile home investor and author, Adrian Smood to come and talk about mobile homes and also incorporating mobile homes with land. This is pretty much what he does. And Adrian is the author of the book, How to Buy Mobile Homes, 
The Unorthodox Guide to Capitalizing on a Hidden Niche in Real Estate Investing. So today, Adrian's going to share his story and investment strategy with mobile homes and land. And stay tuned, stay until the end, because Adrian's got a very special gift for y'all, a free gift for the listeners of the show today. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Adrian. Thanks, Rachel. Appreciate you having me. Thanks so much for agreeing to come on the podcast and on the show. Um, I know that you wrote the book, How to Buy Mobile Homes, and then also you've been doing this for a while. So let's kind of rewind. Let's start back to kind of when you got started uh, as a, you know, if it's a real estate investor or if you started as a mobile home investor. Tell us your story of how you got started. So the quick version of my story is about 20 years ago, I was a tenant living in a house, and I was a terrible tenant. We have eviction notices because we had spaghetti wrestling parties, mud wrestling parties, pudding wrestling parties. Basically, you don't rent to 20-year-old Adrian. Now, that forced me to like need to solve a problem because we got tired of being evicted. So I bought a house, single-family, ranch-style house, what most people invest in. I moved my friends in that helped me get evicted, Learn the landlord side, you know, why we were such terrible people in the, their house. Fast forward, I ended up buying another house and I bought that at the top of the market. This last uh, top where I had the adjustable rate mortgage, losing a little bit every month. But the bank said, don't worry, you'll refinance. Well, I think you already understand how that worked out because the market kept going down. I went from losing a little bit every month to a little bit more every month. and ended up losing that house as a short sale. I gave it up. Wow. That must've been tough. Yeah, it was, it was tough uh, on my credit, obviously my ego, but also my integrity. And I didn't fully understand that then, but now I really understand why it was so tough because I didn't do what I said I was going to do, which meant pay my bills. Right, right, right. We'll touch on why I love the mobile home niche that follows and allows me to always be able to pay my bills. And that was a single family home, I would think. Yep, single okay. family home. Now, I didn't okay. lose that first home, though, because right. I bought it right. I was renting it right. Mm-hmm. And I was covering my mortgage. Now, I didn't have a lot of money. I basically ate on uh, not ramen noodles, but the Lipton noodle package. So I was a <laughs> step above them. Oh, wow. Okay. Because <laughs> I, I also lost my job at the time in the recession. Okay. But I didn't lose that first house. I mean, I think that's one of the most key pieces that kept me in this real estate game that I lived for free in that first house because my tenants, my friends were paying my mortgage. Gotcha. And my question is, do you still have that house today after all these years or? (laughs) I actually sold it during COVID because I looked at how much money I had in equity, like net equity, you know, after selling it and paying my taxes Mm -hmm. and the realtors and closing all that. And I realized I was making as a single family home 5.6% return on my equity. Mm-hmm. I could have played that burst strategy a lot of people like to do, but I looked at that and I was like, you know, I could sell it, take that equity, and buy a lot of mobile homes and make right. way more than <laughs> 5.6%. Right, exactly. But so that's what I've actually done over the years because I had a few of those houses. Uh, you okay. know, I, I got back after that short sale, I got back into the single family space and bought some more. Okay. But since then, since I found the mobile home niche, I've sold off all of those site-built 
beautiful Instagram worthy ranch homes that we're all taught to do. <laughs> right. And have used that money to buy mobile homes because they make a much higher cash flow. You sound like my story because I did start out in single family homes as a bird dog, as a wholesaler, became a landlord, became a burnt out landlord, then sold my entire real estate portfolio of single family homes before getting into mobile home investing. And I've told this story over and over again, and it cashed out and used that money to buy mobile homes. So exactly what what you're doing. So let's talk about your mobile home investing journey. So um, tell us about how you got into mobile home investing, how you got started and made that transition from single family to mobile homes. Well, about seven years ago, I was frustrated because I couldn't find any deals that made sense, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. I thought we were at the top of the market. I had that short sale in the back of my head that like made me a little skittish and scared because I didn't want to do that again. Now, obviously, I've been extremely wrong because the market has gone almost straight up in the last seven years. <laughs> right. But that's what really was the catalyst for me to search for something else. The old school investors, like the ones that were sitting in the back of the room in the meeting, didn't need to be there anymore at the real estate meetings. They don't even get on bigger pockets or anything because they're, they're <laughs> really old school, you know. If they have hair, it's shiny gray or silver. <laughs> right. Well, they talked about mobile homes. And I was smart enough to realize that they are really smart people. And I mm -hmm. should take their advice. I got frustrated with uh, my investing speed, we'll say, that I wanted more faster. And I decided to buy a single unit with the land. So it's a 1965. I made a lot of mistakes. Oh, wow. Broke okay. a lot of the rules. The, right. like, the septic tank was underneath the back porch. You had to go in one bedroom through it to get to the other bedroom. <laughs> a lot of things that you know were taught not to do. Mm -hmm. uh, and I made some mistakes for sure. But I spent $16,000. We'll round up that I had $20,000 in after closing costs and some of the mistakes I made. Okay. And I was renting it for $475 a month. Okay. Yeah, you didn't have to pull a calculator out to realize that right. was good numbers. Yeah. Well, I kept buying, you know, because I'm like, this is a little <laughs> gold mine no one's talking about. Right. And since then, I've shifted my entire portfolio over to these little cash flowing ATMs that Very make a lot more money. Very cool. So as I understand, so you were influenced by some of these quote unquote old school real estate investors in the back of real estate investment club and you hung out with them and they kind of told you about mobile homes. How did you, let's go back to that first deal. Cause that's like one of the most important deals. Like I always mm -hmm. talk about my first deal, even though it was considered a small deal compared to what I do today. Um, let's talk about your first deal. I mean, how exactly did you find that deal and was it in an area that you had already uh, farmed and you already had properties in or was was this a completely different area outside of, you know, the areas that you are already working as a real estate investor? Great questions there. So it was within my, my 30 minute window that I had kind of created. Okay. And I created this 30 minute window because those same silver haired, if hair at all, investors, <laughs> when I heard their story over and over, they went from a really big buying area to a pretty small. Okay. And I thought, all right. I don't want to really, really been driving more than 30 minutes. You know, that's right. 30 minutes each direction. And if you're going right. from one side, that can be an hour, it can be an hour and a half. So I decided, all right, 30 minutes. 
Okay. Now, I'm in Central Florida, in between Tampa and Orlando. There's enough homes in the Plant City, Lakeland, Zebra Hills, Brandon area that I can do 30 minutes. Okay. If I was in Wisconsin, where I have a bunch of friends, their neighbors are 30 minutes away. It wouldn't work. <laughs> right, right, right. I bring right. that up because there's going to be people listening from all over the country, and you have to kind of figure out where your window is for your market. Right. But it was in that area. But how did I really find it? I'm a networker. Right. I like to talk to people. I truly enjoy it. I'm at my local RIA, and I had made friends with this girl named Jessica. Mm-hmm. We had become friends. And one night she said, Adrian, my real estate broker has someone that needs to sell their mobile home. Would you be interested? Oh, okay. Said, sure. Right. So that's how I found it. Now, I was a little scared because I hadn't didn't have education. There weren't podcasts like this out there on mobile home investing. Right. And I went out and looked at it anyways. And the realtor really wanted nothing to do with it. He was making his money on the new home they were purchasing. Yep. Exactly. And he said, I need this sold because they have a little bit of debt and they can't qualify on the big commission. He's like, I don't want to do the paperwork on the gotcha. commission I'm going to make here. Gotcha. Gotcha. And I've gotten a lot of deals that way as I'm helping them out in a way that right. is making them money and I'm still helping everyone out. Exactly. Exactly. So it was kind of like a win-win situation for everyone. Now, as I understand this, this was actually a mobile home on a piece of land as real estate, right? Real property. Yep. 0.09 acres, tiny okay. sliver of land. Very cool. Very cool. So let's get into the deal. Um, how did you negotiate with the seller? Um, what were, you know, some of the figures in terms of the buying it? And then, you know, the question everyone wants to know, how much repair costs were there was involved? <laughs> That's well, a big one for me. <laughs> they were asking $16,000. Okay. And I didn't really negotiate well. I paid them $16,000. <laughs> right. Well, you, you got know, the land included too. Yeah. Okay. And, and the land was worth... Uh, not 16, but close to it. You know, it's right. not a very valuable sliver of land. Okay. And part of my mentality, which is not the best thought process, but what can go wrong here at $16,000? $160,000 feels scarier than right. $16,000. <laughs> right, exactly. So it, was a, it was a dollar thing. You know, once we get over that, we realize it's just zeros. and it, It's it just all zeros. Yeah, it's just zeros. That's what, like, you know... What, what, those experienced we're, investors tell me all the time. It's just zeros, Rachel. <laughs> but when we're starting out, it's still scary. Yeah, it is. The zeros are scary. So I didn't negotiate well. and They did say there is someone else looking at it. And I ran my numbers and I was like, it should work. Okay. And what did I do repair-wise? They were already living in it. There mm-hmm. really weren't a lot of repairs to do. Okay. Now, there's some stuff I skipped over and I didn't realize that the toilet was actually shaking and... As you know, a lot of people do their own work. So that was one of the reasons it was shaking because the plywood they had put down. So we had to do some repairs there. So there wasn't a a wobbly toilet that was going to leak and cause even more repairs. Right. If I remember right, the water heater was outside of the home and not protected by the weather at all. Okay. And we get a lot of rain in Florida. So that's a terrible idea. (laughs) Electricity exposed and then just the... Metal exposed to the weather. So we had to close that in. Okay. And I don't remember all the other details. of. It was a few thousand dollars of repairs that I thought 
weren't going to happen. Right. But okay. Then I found out, all right, well, we do need to make these repairs. And I put it for rent as soon as I could. And there was demand for okay. it, the property. And I was like, all right, I made the right decision. There was a little bit of a, like holding my <laughs> breath here that I, that I screw up and blow away all of our money here. Right. Not going to be the worst case scenario because I, every successful person has had a splat story. Right. And I was like, well, all right, well, maybe I'm just finding my splat story by spending <laughs> the rest of my money on this trailer. Right, right, right. And what's the least you could lose? You know, your 16 grand and your yeah. time, you know, that's versus you're in a million dollar deal or we talked about $160,000 home, single family, half a million, you know. There's a big difference. Now, I had a question since they were living in the home. I'm talking about the sellers and the broker needed to sell this so that they can buy, you know, a new home. How did you handle the closing? Did they actually have to rent back and stay in mm. the home or did they just leave, you know, and then they just went somewhere else and was able to move on and buy the the home that they needed to? So they stayed longer. Okay. That is extremely common in my world that the seller needs to stay exactly okay. like you said, and I'm willing to do it. I know everyone doesn't have that, uh, we'll say risk appetite, but as long as I have the title company hold back a large chunk of money, mm -hmm. typically $10,000 for them to stay a week and it doesn't get released until okay. that time, right. I've done really well with that. Now, I have made the mistakes that I didn't hold back any money right. and that usually doesn't end as well. And one of the simple things that ends up being really well is they have to leave it broom swept clean. And when there's a $10,000 on the line, you better bet they leave it broom swept clean. <laughs> when I go right. over there the day of closing that they're already out, it's not that clean because <laughs> That's not in the agreement as hard as that $10,000 that the title company can't gotcha. release. That's a good tip, y'all, if you're listening out there. Now, my question is, so they stayed in and eventually they closed on their home and they moved out and all that. Let's talk about finding that renter. Um, you had mentioned you were really surprised. Did you do market research beforehand before buying the property? You just kind of bought the property and then just looked for tenants? Or did you already know what you could rent it out for, you know, once you closed on it and all that? So at the time, I would have told you, yes, I did market research. But now knowing what I know now, I didn't do much market research. It's, it's cool. It's cool. We're, we all get to that point where like we just do it and then we just figure it out along the way. You know, I've been doing this too long. So yeah, um, it, same thing. Yes, exactly. You know, and today, that's one reason for that 30 minute buying area is mm -hmm. I know my market really well. Now, mm -hmm. uh, we did recently buy a property that butts up to the railroad track and I've never owned one. Okay. So we had to go out and do a little more market research on that. Okay. You know, what of other property, pretty much the same. And we couldn't find really good comps. So I just decided, all right, there's maybe $100, $200 off for that railroad noise. Someone's going to live there. Mm -hmm. there's, there's not like no one. I mean, I have friends that lived on railroads and they said after two weeks, they never heard it again. I think it's crazy. <laughs> right. But there's right. always someone willing to live somewhere for a cost or discount, I should say. Interesting. Yes. I like to be very conservative in those numbers when it's an estimate like that, because okay. I want to be surprised the upside, not the downside. 
Right, right, right. That's that's definitely good to know. Good to know. So that was your first deal. Um, so how long did it take to close that deal from when you purchased it to closing? I know it could be like re- closing to find a, a, a buy a renter, not a buyer, a renter and get, you know, getting that first paycheck from the renter. How long was that process? It was actually only a few weeks. I started marketing it for rent without the address before I actually closed on it. So I had some applicants coming in and a little bit of that is I was nervous. You know, I was like, I need this to work (laughs) uh, because I needed that money to come in. I'm not as, we'll say fast on that. Now I'm a little more relaxed, you know, emotionally. Right. But then I was like high strung, like I need it to be rented. I need that money. I can't wait I, another 15 days. I completely understand. I've been there, done that, and I put the wrong person in it, and then we're at square one. So oh, yeah. I we're completely we're, understand. It is a <laughs> terrible place to be when we are motivated landlords. <laughs> exactly. No, you don't want that. Uh that's that's good stuff to know. So let's talk about your business model. Now we've talked about your first deal and how it worked out. Let's talk about your business model. I Actually, um, you know, I've done exactly what Lonnie Scruggs, the godfather of mobile home investing, he's, he's he was my mentor, you know, God rest his soul. But basically, you know, when he was alive, but um, basically, that's what I did. You know, I, I deal in parks, I deal in communities, you know, I work with park managers, you know, all that. You have a business model that you actually buy them out on land. So let's talk about your business model now um, compared to, you know, what it was then. Is it the same or has it changed? So what it is now, the essence is the same. I buy the home and land together. Like you said, it's a real estate transaction. Mm -hmm. It's a single unit. Today, I am looking for homes that are a little bit newer, meaning 1990s is what I really want. Mm-hmm. But I did just buy one of the worst properties I've ever bought. It's in the 60s. Uh-huh. I made my momentum and my very fast growth buying a lot of the 1960s and 1970s. Hmm. Because you and I can talk and teach until we're blue about mobile homes and get some people comfortable with them. Right. And then it's a whole other step to get them comfortable with the 1960s and 70s. Exactly. And I found, all right, less people are here there's going to be a little bit higher risk. You know, once we learn about it, it's not that bad. Mm-hmm. Well, that means there's less people there, a little bit higher risk. I get a larger return on my investment. So that's one reason I dealt in that space a lot in the beginning because I needed a really high return on my investment mm-hmm. so I could grow at the speed I want to grow at. Right. And those are typically on smaller lots. They're less valuable lots. You know, the dirt's not as valuable. Okay. Uh, today... I am looking for a little bit less work because those older ones require a little bit more work. Mm -hmm. And I like, uh, I call them lotto tickets where that (laughs) dirt might get bought out by a builder one day. Right. You know, this is generalizing. The 1990s are on larger, more valuable dirt than the old ones of the 1960s and 70s. So I'm after a little equity in lotto tickets today when I was in growth mode. All I wanted is cash flow because I wanted to be able to pay all of my bills with the money coming in from real estate. So in three years, I will answer this question probably differently because I don't know where I'll be at business and personal life. 
Right, exactly. That's interesting. So I want to ask about those earlier deals. I mean, I take it they didn't have HUD label numbers since they were 60s and 70s, you know, pre-1966, 1976, without the HUD label number, um, you know, because people are scared. I've had students ask me about those, like, would you do? I'm like, I have personally, I haven't done it. You always go with your gut. And yep. that's the thing. When I first started, I had people who advised me, don't do that. Like, don't do the rent back, you know, to the sellers. And I, that was my first deal, actually. They needed to just have time to move all their stuff. And so they gave me half, you know, half, you know, at closing. And then the other half, once they moved down, I made them just clean the home. And it worked out fine. You know, maybe I got lucky. I don't know. But, you know, one of the things I had, I, I wanted to ask you about, you know, these older homes, did you buy them in place or did you actually have to move them on land? Because mm. I know that's a completely different thing to do. Yeah. So I do not like to move them. Okay. Uh, I like to joke around that I'm a lazy investor. So if it sounds like a lot of work, especially if it's dealing with the government work, which right. moving one is, right, uh, it's not for me. Now, okay. I tried it out. I did wholesale one that needed to be moved away from the land. I okay. tried to buy the home and land together. And the guy said, no, no, no. I'm going to put a brand new one on here. Gotcha. Gotcha. So I did buy the home. Mm -hmm. I partnered with someone else because I didn't want to do that work. And she right. was a research person. So she was good at going <laughs> figure out the whole process. Okay. And then afterwards I brought her to lunch and said, tell me everything. And I was involved a little bit in it. And I said, Nope, there's too much work. You know, the, the new buyer delayed actually moving it. And then the person that we bought it from, he said, why is this property still here? This mobile home. Mm -hmm. And then he said, Hey, you messed up my dirt. You know, it was, I was like, this is too many moving parts for me. Yes. There's money in it. Because right. there's a guy in Florida, Rod, that that's his business. All mm -hmm. he does is buy and sell them. So when I get that lead, I pre-screen it. And I said, here you go, Rod. Here you go, Rod. Yeah. And if he closes on it, a check shows up. So I exactly. still want to help those people with someone I trust. Right. And of course, I'm a little money. But I found it's not for my personality. Right. And you know your niche. I mean, I started out as a real estate investor, as a bird dog and a wholesaler. Then I became a landlord. Then I did Lonnie deals and bought and hold. And now I'm back to wholesaling. I wholesale mobile homes now. That's a new part of my business. And so, you know, I started out as a wholesaler bird dog. And now here I am a wholesaler bird dog, you know, not a bird dog, but a wholesaler of mobile homes. So it's funny how, you know, you know, you, you, you pick and choose what you want to do, what you know, but get the experience first. That's pretty much yeah. what it is, you know? So you know what you're good at. Anything else, you just kind of pass on those types of leads. I do yeah. that all the time with mobile home parks, you know, other deals that come up, you know, that I don't want, but I, someone else may be able to take them. So that's good to know. That's good information. So I, I just wanted to make sure I understand, have you stayed exclusively with mobile homes and land, or have you branched out into other areas uh, within mobile homes, like in the communities? Are you looking at purchasing mobile home parks in the future? Where are you at with that today? So I have bought a few in the park, the Lonnie deals that okay. uh, you speak of. Uh, I am jealous that you got to meet Lonnie. I didn't find <laughs> out about him until after he had passed away. And I've studied his stuff. I, I'm a very big fan of him. Great. Uh, I've done a few of those. They were very good for my growth. They're huge ROI, as you know. 
they today don't fit in my business because there's a little more headache there. You know, we got to keep the park manager happy. Uh, right. And there's out on the dirt, you know, which is a little more, we'll say, stressful in hurricane season because yes. <laughs> if it gets blown away as a hurricane missile, all yes. I have is lot rents. Right. And that's exactly. not as much fun. Mm-hmm. But will I buy them again? Probably. I'm sure they're going to come up uh, up at some point. And I'll buy some that are the right lead. The other side of it is the parks that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. I learned that parks are not in my vision to own because that government thing, you have to <laughs> play well and call them and, and do a lot of stuff. It just doesn't fit me personally, personality wise. Right. And then in general, one of my mentors explains that single family residents, people that live in them, generally want privacy. Mm-hmm. And people that live in communities of multifamily generally want services. Oh, well, okay. I relate to privacy more than services. That's I like my know. people to move in and take care of the place and only call us when they really need something and it's their home. They don't call us for the services. Mm-hmm. That's okay, great. Because we need both in the world. I am going to just go with what my personality is. So these are some of the reasons mm-hmm. I decided for me, I want to be in the single family space, which happens to be the mobile home single family. Okay. But that doesn't mean I'm not involved in a park. We have right. some IRA money in a syndication of a mobile home park. I already understand the asset class. I've looked at mobile home parks. I've you know, done the research on the books. I've, I've looked at many of them, just didn't pull the trigger. Right. So I understand it a lot easier. And I like some diversification. And my IRA likes lazy money that just keeps coming in. <laughs> so it fits really well. Right, right, right. That's good to know about the services versus the privacy. Uh, I never thought of it that way. I know in the parks, because I know all the park managers and all that. Yes, it it is kind of like a service. And then, you know, there's, you know, they're maintaining grounds, (laughs) you know, the road, the clubhouse, the pool, you know, all kinds of things, you know. And I remember that, you know, Lonnie, when he told me when I I talked with him, I asked him, you know, I, I was at the point where should I buy a park? Because I was being approached by all these investors who had these opportunities and wanted me to because of my experience you know and Lonnie said that he uh, had never bought a park because he said you're in a different business you're in a management business once you buy a park and for him his goal was for him and his wife to travel America in an RV that's why they did the Lonnie deals that's why they continued to do them and become the bank he went on to do hard money give hard money loans and just be the lender that's pretty much what he did uh, for the duration of his life so I had to think long and hard and those opportunities still come my way so and I, I, I you know it's always in the back of my mind but it's at the point where, you know, I'm kind of happy where I'm at right now. You know what I mean? So that's that's definitely good to know. So my next question is, I mean, we've talked about your story. We've talked about how you got started in mobile homes with land. We've talked about your first deal. Let's talk about someone who's brand new to mobile homes and they want to do this. They want to buy mobile homes with land because I have a lot of people who are interested in it. One of the things that you know, gets in the way with people is funding. And I know that you had talked about, you know, you had the cash from your your portfolio, just like me. 
What advice do you have to people who are interested in this niche, but are having difficulty or kind of a hard time to get funding for these deals? They don't have the the sources. They don't have enough cash built up. What can they do, um, you know, in terms of that? What would you suggest they do as a a beginner uh, mobile home investor? I absolutely love this topic. Next year, I actually want to teach a course on private money lending. Okay. Okay. So when we get to, if you have nothing, you know, no money, no cash. Right. Uh, obviously, you can use a bank. Uh, I am uh, bank free. I do not use banks for any lending. Uh, I don't owe them any money, which is something I'm proud of. Right. So how do I fund stuff? Because no matter how much money I ever accumulate, it runs out really fast. Exactly. When we start buying. Exactly. So I use private money, friends and family, and hmm. I make them the payments. So their IRAs, similar as I mentioned that one of our IRAs has money mm-hmm. in a uh, mobile home park. Mm-hmm. So their IRA or their personal money lends money on the deal. Okay. I love that because I know the person's story. I know about them. I know where the money's going. I don't get any personal value out of paying Bank America, Chase, or any other bank. Right. Because right. the shareholders, and even if I'm a shareholder, it doesn't really go there. It's a tiny Right. Thing. Right. Hey there. Rachel here. Have you enjoyed the show and podcast so far? Has it helped you with your own mobile home investing journey? And have you received value from it? If yes, then consider supporting the show. So, how can you show your support? Well, there's a couple of things that you can do. The first thing you can do is leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, or anywhere else the podcast can be heard. Go to www.adventuresinmobilehomes.com slash podcast to see the sites and links where you can leave a review on. I'll be ever so grateful if you do. And you may even get a shout out and your review read right on the show, just for doing it. Another thing you can do is support the show and buy me a coffee. If you know me, you know how much I love coffee. If you've gotten a lot of good information out of the podcast and it has helped you as a mobile home investor, I'd love your support. Now, in the future, I'll be giving shout-outs to those who support me. So, if you do, that may be you. Go to www.adventuresinmobilehomes.com support for more information on how you can show your support. Again, www.adventuresinmobilehomes.com support. And if you want to take it a step further, and receive exclusive-only content, consider being a member. On the support page there, you'll find info about how you can view exclusive content, including access to new videos and blog posts, a shout-out in a future episode for your support, access to video replays on my past speaking engagements, if you haven't seen me speak yet, and more. Check out 
www.adventuresofmobilehomes.com slash support to find out more. Thanks so much for continuing to listen to the podcast and for your support. Now, back to the show. So the other option is owner financing. Mm-hmm. And I love the topic of owner financing. Both of these are a relationship business that we have to build trust with the other person, either the seller or the friend family. So we need to build a lot of trust and rapport. So that doesn't mean you go in and you inspect the home and in 10 minutes you leave and leave them an offer. Right. I time block at least two hours and now I'm starting to go into three hours just to see a property. Okay. And I go in and I talk about everything but the property and make them bring it up. Okay. And part of it is I'm generally interested. I, when you said Lonnie wanted to travel, I love traveling. It's a big <laughs> part of my life. Right. And pretty much everyone out there either has traveled or they want to travel. Right. And we can easily get on that topic because I can see something hanging up from their travels. Okay. And then I'm generally interested in it. And I keep saying generally because it, it's fake. And people can feel the fake if you're just doing it to try to buy the property. I actually care about that topic. Right. And we talk and talk. So now I'm proving that I'm a real person and building that rapport. And that's the basis of being able to get funding from a human being. Mm Because we invest in people that we know, like, and trust. Right. Exactly. And with the older mobile homes, like the beautiful one behind me (laughs) that came with most of its sighting. (laughs) Everyone knows it's not financeable. It's no secret here. The sellers, a lot of times, understand more about owner financing than I would say most real estate investors. Mm -hmm. Because when they bought it, there was no financing. So the seller financed it to them. I like to keep that topic very simple. I don't use the term owner financing. And let's talk about this one. If you were selling it, and let's just say you were asking $20,000 for it, I would reply... Rachel, I, I can do that if it's on payments. Okay. And then I shut up like I just did. It was really awkward. I think it was three <laughs> seconds. I'm supposed to do five. Right. Oh, okay. Okay. You, you just be quiet. And I would wait for you to reply. And you didn't say no right away, which means at least you'll entertain that topic. And then we just talk about it. Mm-hmm. Well, how much do you need a month? Because payment sounds simple. Financing gets... it's jargon that can be confusing and like do we need an attorney mm-hmm. like there's a, it becomes complicated that's a good point keep it very simple payments you know oh when they start asking about all oh, the paperwork how are we gonna you know what the ladies at my title company that's what they're <laughs> best at that's what we're gonna pay them regardless so right. we might as well make sure that they are gonna make sure it's fair on both sides and everything and that's what i do right that is what they're best at so i'm gonna pay them to do it Right, exactly. And I have gotten a lot of owner financing deals. And then other human beings, I can talk until I'm blue. That's why you hear I can get passionate on the topic. I want to teach this because today we need this topic. Right. People haven't needed that in the last decade because rates have gone down and prices have gone up in real estate. So no one needed anything but a bank. And it made better financial sense Mm -hmm. in the short term to be with banks. Right. If people don't learn this topic, they're not going to make it through this next recession, in my opinion. (laughs) 
Yes, because it is going to be making a comeback. You know, I believe it is. And it's actually really common to do seller financing, owner financing, whatever you call it, payments. And a lot of people, buyers, like residential home homeowners, they always ask, you know, and I know this because I've been a seller, you know, do you take payments? It's just, it's just if you're in the business, it just people ask it and you either say yes or no, I want cash, get your own financing. So it's really common. And I'm glad that uh, you're going to be teaching this topic and getting people, you know, educated on this yeah. uh, because it is something that is needed. It is a roadblock for a lot of people in terms of financing when it comes to starting out as an investor, whether you're a real estate investor or a mobile home investor. So I want to to make sure that you answer that question. And y'all, I'll have uh, all Adrian's contact information in the show notes. You can always ask him questions uh, in the show notes. My next question is, you are a landlord. You're proud to be a landlord. And I caught your interview um, on another interview, uh, actually on the Spark Rental podcast uh, with our friend Brian Davis. And one thing, it just caught my eye. That's why I asked you to be on the show, is that you said you actually like to be a landlord. You know, you like dealing with tenants. And for me, I have a love-hate relationship with real estate. So I'm very curious to hear your advice to people who are kind of scared to be a landlord. Because, you know, a lot of people, they approach me, they're like, no, 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 I think I'm just going to wholesale. I don't want to be a landlord. You know, I don't want to deal with toilets and contractors and fixing up properties, you know, yada, yada, yada. You know, I want to hear what advice do you have for people just starting out who are afraid to be landlords within the mobile home, you know, investing niche? Well, first of all, I have found that you are the norm and I'm the abnormal one that enjoys the management side. Of it. <laughs> yes. I think that one of the biggest issues with the burned out landlord, like as you were, yes, is Either your personality didn't fit for it or you didn't learn about landlording in a way that sets everyone up for success and that's what burned you out. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really common in the real estate space, which doesn't benefit anyone. So right. Some of the key pieces of it is, is expectations. I really don't think landlording is much different than a relationship with your spouse, your friends, or anyone else. It's all <laughs> communication. Okay. That's good. Okay. doesn't matter who you are. We're communicating. And a lot of landlords like, no, I don't want to communicate. Pay me rent and don't call me. Mm -hmm. Well, that wouldn't really work really well with your spouse, would it? <laughs> you know, so it, it's very similar there. Also, the expectations, I think, is one of the biggest issues in all relationships. Mm -hmm. Again, friends, family, spouse, we have either too high of expectations with our spouse and that causes problems or we have expectations that we never communicate and we don't mm -hmm. even tell it. So how can someone live up to that if we don't tell them? Mm -hmm. So how does this relate to being the landlord, which I like the term housing provider and instead <laughs> of tenant resident? Yes. We I set use our expectations too. up mm -hmm. very clear ahead of time. Okay. And you know, everything. And a, one way to explain that is we review the leases. We do it on zoom. That's one of the good things that came out of COVID for us. Hmm. And it takes about an hour and a half to just review the lease and you cannot sign it at that moment. Okay. Because we go through the whole thing. We talk about stories, why we have this one in here, you know, what someone did in the past, why the attorney put this in here. And we go over the whole thing. So they actually understand what they're getting into. Not just, 
hey, here, sign here, press hard and give me my money. And <laughs> I was that guy at one point. When I was starting yes. out, I was yes. so scared for anyone to ask anything in the least because I didn't understand it. I'd never read it myself. Right, right. But now I don't want you to even move in because if you move in and you don't understand it, and in a month when I call you or email you and say, hey, why aren't you doing this? You're like, oh, I don't remember that. Well, now I don't get that call. And if we do every once in a while, it's usually a few years down the road. And we say, hey, remember when we reviewed the lease on Zoom? And like, oh, yeah, you know, I, I forgot about that because we <laughs> talked about it. Right, right, right. And we don't allow people to sign right then because a lot, of, not a lot of hmm. times, every once in a while, we'll get someone that it doesn't fit for them. They don't like these expectations that we're setting. Hmm. Okay. And then they don't want to live there. And if I force them to live there, I refund their money because they've already given a, a non-refundable deposit and I refund it mm-hmm. because I don't want them there either. Because right. if it doesn't work for them, they're either going to move out soon. And if they move out soon, well, I got work all of a sudden. And if they move out soon, we have to do more money. You can't, you can't turn the property over every year and be profitable. It, it's not the math doesn't work. Interesting, because I know so people I want them do to that. Move in, <laughs> right, and I want them to stay there the rest of their life. And when okay. you pass away, I want your kids to move in. And I tell them that, and yes. they choke a little bit, and it's sometimes a little awkward. And I'm like, but I'm serious, Rachel. This is your home now. We're here to help you, but it's your home to live in, and we want you to be safe, take care of it, and pay rent on time. And we're here to help and support that. Okay. Okay. So these and a are lot long-term. of people don't get treated that way. Right. Especially, you know, we'll stereotype in the trailer trash space. There's <laughs> bad landlords in our space. Right. So now right. when we get to treat people like humans and respect and give them all these expectations, they're even happier because a lot of times they've never been treated like this hmm. and they want to stay a really long time and they take care of the property really, really well. Interesting. So you're looking more for the long-term tenant. And my next question is, how do you, because for me doing business in the parks, they run their own background checks and then I do my own, but how do you, you know, ensure that, you know, you know, to check all that, like employment, background check, all that, do you do it on your own? Do you work with a property management company? How does that work? So you're right. I am looking for a really long-term I will tell you uh, an ego part of me is I want to beat all of my mentors. And one of my mentors has 32 years is the longest person that lived in his home. So I have to start now to beat his record. Oh my goodness. (laughs) And I've got some mentors that have an average of their entire time was like 12 and a half years. Those are some impressive numbers. Yes. Yes. I am looking for long term. Okay. To answer your question though Sorry, I'm, I'm gathering my thoughts because that is literally a full day of information <laughs> I teach on how do I make sure I'm getting the right person. Right. Most of it comes down to those expectations. And in today's market, this can change because right. today, most markets, there is not enough housing, especially in the affordable housing space, which are mm-hmm. most mobile homes, not all, but most. Right. So there's a lot of demand and not much supply. So we have the upper hand. If that changes... Some of this strategy I'm about to say could change, but I want you to work and prove that you want this property. So there is no just 
pay your application fee and move in. It takes days on the quick side of it. So you have to, every, all marketing directs you to the property. We don't talk to you until you've seen the property. So you can't take the lazy Zillow clicking way. Those people don't make it. The people that <laughs> right. need to move tomorrow, uh, they don't make it. Because if they need to move tomorrow into our property, they're going to move tomorrow out of our property. And we don't want right. that. We don't want a transient uh, person there. So a lot of it is just setting the expectations from the beginning, having them prove that they want to live there for a long time, and really take care of the property. We're looking for key things like that. Yes, we do background checks. Mm-hmm. We manage it all of ourselves. Mm-hmm. I enjoy that part. If I had something that was really out of my wheelhouse, uh, you know, really low end property, that, that's not quality of the home. That's yes. the quality of the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. I probably wouldn't buy it. Or if I do, I would sell it to someone else. But for some reason, if I decide I'm going to keep it for myself, I probably will hire a property management that specializes in that type of neighborhood. Because that's not me. Right. My rule of thumb is I want a property that I have no problem sending my wife at night alone to. (laughs) So that doesn't have a, you know, you can't go on Zillow and and find a a map that tells you (laughs) that. It's a feel for that for me. Right. Where people want to live, not have to live. Right, right, right. You have a very interesting, I'll be honest, you have a very interesting model because most landlords, even in mobile homes, I mean, I was, I'm the same way. You just put them in. I don't know how long they're going to be because I've had so many, I'm telling you, divorce, health reasons. They had to move out of state, take care of family. It comes up all the, and divorce is like my number one. You know, I even bought a mobile home in a park from an investor who got divorced, <laughs> you know, yeah. and that was the rental property. So you have a very, very interesting uh, model because I've never heard of this. I mean, I know that I've, I know landlords who they've had their tenants in for years, but you are actually intentionally picking long-term tenants and you have a system for it, which I find very interesting. My next question about- Can I add something- Sure, Sorry, sure. I, I want to add an important piece that I didn't think of until you were repeating all that. A lot of times we think of marketing and think of properties for what we're looking for. Right. I have figured out who I want to live in my property, the avatar of the resident that lives there. Mm-hmm. And I've done research on that person. For me, it's a blue collar, handyman, handy woman. Hmm. So now I've like, all right, what does he and she want? And now I pick properties and neighborhoods and stuff that they want to live in. They like a fenced yard. They like a little workshop. They don't care about Starbucks and Target. They care about Walmart mm-hmm. and maybe an advanced auto parts. So I'm thinking of them. Where do they want to live? And I go shopping for my resident. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Now, how do I figure out who that is? That's a personal thing. I review now every time we move someone in, every time we move someone out, what do we do right what do we do wrong? I grew up in a blue collar family mm-hmm. and entrepreneur family. So I relate to that person when they want to bring their barn animals or goats that most people don't want. I'm like, <laughs> cool. I like goats. I like ferrets. I like rabbits. Right. right. So there's, you know, it's not like discriminating against different things. It's just who gets along with me. Like I can actually talk about their garden and their tomatoes that they're planting because I do it myself. I'm the same way. We're complete opposites because I came from corporate America. So I'm working in four and five star parks in different, completely different neighborhood. But I 
completely know where you're coming from. It's good because you know your 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 yes. your your resident, you know your renter, you know who to look out for, you know where they the places they want to shop, market demographics and all that. Now my next question is, you know, since these are long-term renters, have any of them actually ever asked you and how do you handle this? Like I've been renting here for a while. Can I buy this from you? Have you ever come across that? That's just a question in the back of, of my course. Head. Yeah, we we have come across that. And really, sometimes the answer is yes, and sometimes the answer is no. Okay. Uh, this one here behind me, <laughs> this was set up as a rental, and we are gonna let them buy it. They've asked us about buying it, and we're like, Yeah, we'll, we'll sell it to you. We're gonna owner finance it because they don't have the cash for it. So right. we're going to make some extra money on the interest and everything there. We have to comply with Dodd-Frank, of course. Mm-hmm. But if this dirt was one of those lotto tickets I talked about, my answer is probably no, because I, I am still in it for money. Right. And so it just really depends on the property itself. Uh, if I if the answer is yes or no, uh, I'll tell you, we do give most of our residents, we give them the first right to buy it. Okay. And that's another thing that, makes them feel very secure in this market that people are just selling the property from under them and saying, Hey, you got to move. Right. We tell them if we're ever going to sell a property or the owners are going to sell the property because we're a management company and that you will get the first option to buy it. Of course it's at market price, but as the owner who better to sell it to it than the person that lives in it knows the property the best. You have no realtor fees. You're not going to have to fix it up or anything because they already own it. There's no move out and turnover. So why wouldn't we want to sell it to the person that lives there? Right. So we right. tell all of our people, you get to be the first one to buy this if they're ever going to sell. Now we don't mm-hmm. like to sell very often, but you never know. Okay. Okay. And these renters, I mean, these they're here long-term and you're educating them that they need to, you know, this is their home and they need to take care of the property. How do you handle repairs? Cause that's a big one for a lot of folks. You know, how do you do that? How do you handle that as a landlord? We set those expectations very strong up front. Okay. Now, Rachel, whenever you have a repair, you need to send us the pictures of what it is, you know, and, and tell us about it. And let's say it's a leaky faucet, you know, under or it's dripping underneath them. All right, Rachel, here's Jose's number. Contact our plumber and you two make the time to work it out. Okay. Because when it's me contacting Jose and then I get back to you, you're like, Oh, you know what? Things change. That date doesn't work anymore. We're the middleman and it slows the communication down. How we didn't tell Jose, Hey, Rachel's going to be reaching out to you for a leaky faucet. That isn't to go and replace a whole toilet just because they want it or a new shower head. They know what to be expecting. And now you two are -hmm. making the plan. So it's a little bit less work on us. Okay. You're doing some of the work, which We want you to have to do that because it's your home and we still stay involved, you know, make sure it all, it worked out, you know, make sure Jose actually contacted you because every once in a while a repairman doesn't work out and then you have to find a new plumber. That's really what it is. We set those expectations up and it's, it's your job to take care of your home. Okay. Yeah. It's funny because I would think the majority of people, since you, your avatar is actually that handy man, handy women, they would actually do it themselves first. Yes. And then if they couldn't or they didn't have time, then they'll bring someone in like Jose. And then they they can speak that language because it's contractor to contractor. You know what I mean? Or they may have a buddy that could help them out. You know, you are exactly right. We've had people replumb bathrooms before because they're a plumber. <laughs> 
Like, right. They're not going to call me because they're insulted because like, oh, I'm going to ask for help for what I do every day. Right. So we have had a lot of that. Now I don't want, you know, the IT guy going and doing electric work. That's not a good idea. Right. Right. But if it's already your field, now I feel comfortable with that. So everyone has their different comfort level. Mm-hmm. As long as that's what they do for a living, I'm fine with them doing some work on the home. And what can they do and not do? Like for me, my, 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 my rule is now I'm doing something different because I'm selling it owner financing, but uh, you know, I'm like, you treat out your home, you know, repairs, whatever, but you cannot change from electric to gas, you know, or, you know, what are some of the rules that you have when it comes to repairs for them repairing their, 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 their items in their home? I don't have a rule. We can, I will pretty much allow almost anything, but okay. that's not on day one. Okay. If you're living there for a long time and you want to do some type of change, that's major, not just paint colors. Mm-hmm. I tell them I am open to anything. We care that it's going to be done properly to code and everything's going to be safe. Okay. So we're fine with them, but a big repair or remodel the whole kitchen, that's not going to happen on month six. We need to have a longer relationship here Mm -hmm. before we do anything of that major. Okay. So it is a relationship. Now, since they're long-term tenants, I mean, are these long-term leases or do you have some kind of trial period in the beginning? We do a one-year lease. Okay. And then it goes month to month after that. And essentially uh, in Florida here, we have about 45 days to move out. Okay. But we tell people, as long as everything has been going great and you're paying on time, you have good communication. I mean, Mm -hmm. we stress that good communication. If life changes really fast and you have all that, we're going to work with you as best we can. If we can get it, if you have to leave right away and we can get it rented, we'll prorate you the difference back. Okay. I try to work with people as much as I can, as long as they're working with us. Exactly. And that has worked really well, you know, because life changes, like you said, you know, we, we've had people get divorced and then the one that was moving out, we rented another property to them. Oh, very cool. Uh, Very cool. Great story. Great story, Adrian. (laughs) Great story. Now, do they, I know this is a relationship thing and and every investor is different. And I'm very interested to hear your side of this. Do you treat it as you are the investor or you are the property manager Mm -hmm. to your tenants? How do they see you um, in in the picture? We are the management company. Good. That's how Uh, I do it. And that's (laughs) that's paperwork wise. So I'm in Florida. Land trusts are very popular in Florida and have very good laws behind it. So an actual trustee owns it, the land trust. We won't get into all that whole setup. There's LLCs. All of that is set up that way. Okay. So I am not the legal owner of the properties. And then the management company does lease the properties from them. And I work for the management company. Mm-hmm. Now, that is set up because there is some protection on our side. But the other piece to it is it changes the mindset of the person there. And I actually fought this a little bit at first until I tried it. When we're on the same page as like the management company and you, people work with us better. If I am the owner, people think of me as this greedy landlord. Exactly. (laughs) And changing that mindset is too much of an uphill battle. When we are the management company, we are here to help you. And that is the mentality we always go after how can we help this situation even if there's nothing that we can really do we still want to help somehow 
Exactly. Exactly. I know investors have different um, philosophies on that. So I just was interested to hear your philosophy since you're on the show and you are a landlord as well, too. My next question is, you know, we 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 know we don't want this to to ever come, you know, as a landlord and you try to work out situations. But have you ever been to eviction court and how does that work for you? Or have you hired someone to go to eviction court for you? So we send out our eviction notices uh, when it's uh, due. And we have some people on a regular basis. They get it. They pay their extra fee. They just decide that that's the way that they're going to do business. Um, right. Now, I have never been to eviction court. I have filed some final evictions on people that we had a handshake deal of them moving out. And mm-hmm. they didn't keep their end of the bargain up. Mm-hmm. So I spent the money. And finalize the eviction actually after I already had someone moved in, but I needed it on their record because they didn't keep up the handshake deal. And I needed to let other investors know that this is not a person of their word. Right. So I did it to help other investors and they didn't keep their deal. Okay. I am, we did just buy a property uh, actually a few months ago and without getting too deep in it, bought it from the sister, brother still lives there, brother was cooperative at the beginning. And then we said, you know, why don't you just stay? He said, okay, we signed everything. And now he's gone quiet. We've done everything we can do to communicate with him. He's just gone quiet. And we file the final eviction uh, pretty soon. So I might be in court for the first time. We can uh, talk about how that worked out in the future. I don't ever want to go to court. No one benefits but the court system. And if we hire an attorney on it, which I'm not sure what we'll do yet, the attorney wins because they make money. Right. And it doesn't exactly. do good on your record. It doesn't, no one wins if we have to do that. That's why we just want to communicate all the way through. But this person's decided that's not for them. Right. Right. If anything, you get anything out of this, y'all, it's about communication <laughs> in anything, not just as a mobile home investor in relationships, your spouse, your friends, family, all that. Personally, I've been to eviction court many times. I have a story on my blog and on the podcast about a rat house. So uh, that was fun. (laughs) To make a long story short, the I got to know the judge and she was like to my tenant, if I see you're in here one more time, you're out. And that was on the fourth try, you know, so three strikes, you're out kind of thing. But uh, yeah, I've done it several times. I've represented myself. It's not a big deal. (laughs) actually. So um, thank you so much for answering those questions, Adrian. And I'm sure a lot of people have some other questions. Let's talk about resources. If someone wants to learn about what you do and how you do it, let's talk about resources they can check out. Let's talk about your, um, I I know you've got a website and some classes and books. Uh, So talk about that and how can people learn more about what you do? Well, yeah, I've got a book, uh, How to Buy Mobile Homes. You already mentioned it. You can buy that anywhere you can buy a book. And my website is lifestyle-rei.com. That's where I have online courses uh, about mobile homes. I have other stuff about landlording, as we talked a <laughs> lot about uh, here. And I do have a 14 myths debunked about mobile homes. So if you're still like on the edge, I'm not sure. These things still sound a little scary. It's free. It's a PDF download. You can read that to help get yourself educated on them. And we have a special link for the guests here. It's lifestyle-rei.com 
slash adventure mobile homes. Did I say that right? Sorry. My adventures in mobile homes. Adventures yeah, so in mobile homes. Sorry. I'll put so, the link to the, sh- in the show notes. Yeah. Um, but I think I'm dyslexic. So <laughs> keeping all of that straight, uh, it messes with me sometimes. And, but if a dyslexic guy can write a book and a dyslexic guy can buy mobile homes, so can you. It's <laughs> That's a great story. That's actually a great story. But I'll put it in the link, um, yeah. you know, with the show notes, everyone. But I believe it's lifestyle-rei.com slash adventures in mobile homes. And that is the free gift that Adrian is graciously sharing with y'all as listeners of the podcast. Let's talk about some other resource you've got, uh, Adrian. What else have you got going on if people want to learn more about investing in mobile homes with land? Well, I post on my Facebook and Instagram every, I think it's five days a week is what I'm posting now, maybe a little bit more. I like to do quotes, different things as a help, you know, just following. You know, I, I attempt to get on bigger pockets, but I feel like every time I go and get the alert, you've already answered the question. I'm like, there's not a lot to add there. I'll add, you know, a little piece from a different viewpoint. Right, uh, right. You know, I, I, <laughs> goal here is to add value different places. And my book is one way. Then people that want a full course, I speak and teach around the country on it. But right now I've backed that off and I'm doing a lot of just online courses, which is the same thing. You get everything, right. you're just not in person. Right. And and yeah, I'm, I'm here to help if I can help. Great. And my last question is, I know you said you were based in Florida. Are you exclusively local or are you actually branching out to different parts of the country? With your investing in mobile homes. My address is local there in Plant City. My investments are local. I'm just not that local. I love to travel and I built the business that I'm geographically free. So as we're recording this, I'm actually in Maine. I travel around and run the business there. I don't have any desire at this moment to expand outside of that 30-minute little diamond because that sounds like work. I got to find new contractors. I got to figure out new (laughs) counties and state laws. I, I, everything is, is new and more. I'm like, it works. I don't know what will happen in the future. Maybe I will, maybe I won't, but it works. And why am I going to disrupt something shiny object, which us investors are notoriously bad with not going to do it. I'm going to just stick with what works until it doesn't work. Exactly. I'm a local investor myself. So I just had to get your perspective on that. And last question, last but not least, where can people find you? What's your website, you know, and your social media handles if they want to follow you and learn more about you? So lifestyle-rei.com. That's the education okay. uh, website. You can also go to adriansmood.com. Uh, that's not a fancy site. But the important thing there is it has also my buying side, which is my wife buys. And the reason I tell people to follow that, even though you're probably not going to sell me anything, look at what's there and just redo that information and use it for your own marketing. I mean, that's really, there's nothing brand new in this world. We're just seeing other ideas like, oh, I like that. Put your own personal spin on it and regurgitate it. That's how I find a lot of my marketing. I see other people's and I like it. (laughs) But my I, do, <laughs> I do remember you were my wife buys. I'm like, what is this my wife buys? So check it out, yeah, y'all. I haven't been there lately, but check it out and let me know. Oh, there we go. My wife so that's buys That's a t-shirt for whatever I'm buying. It's my wife buys mobile homes. Always that's, bright yellow. 
hey, you're ahead of me. You got merch. I don't have merch yet. <laughs> Very cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Adrian Smood of LifestyleREI.com. Thank you guys for listening. Be sure to check out that free gift, that free report that Adrian has in the show notes. This is Rachel Hernandez, aka Mobile Home Girl with AdventuresInMobileHomes.com. Have a good one. Bye-bye. So there you have it. My guest interview with my author and mobile home investor friend, Adrian Smood. So what did you think? Did you learn a lot from the interview? I hope so. Now, as mentioned in the interview, be sure to check out Adrian's free gift to you as a valued listener of the podcast, which I'll link it up right here in the show notes. Plus, be sure to check out Adrian's book titled How to Buy Mobile Homes, the Unorthodox Guide to Capitalizing on a Hidden Niche in Real Estate Investing. And once you read it, definitely let me know what you think. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Now, as of this recording, I'm working on a new video commentary of a new book coming soon where my investment story is featured with an international best-selling author in the personal finance space. And I'm going to be talking more about the book in my new video commentary, including my thoughts on it and my story, including how I got involved in the project and the importance of the book, which is more of a behind the scenes of what I've been doing with my other projects. And just in case you missed it, I did reveal the name of the book and I even unboxed it during my last video commentary and market update on the real estate industry and how it affects mobile home investors, which I'll link up here in the show notes if you'd like to check it out. Now, these video commentaries and updates are just one of the perks of becoming a member on my support page. And as a member, you'll get exclusive access to videos like this on different topics around mobile home investing and access to detailed posts where I go into more detail about specific topics within mobile home investing that you won't find anywhere else. I'm telling you, this is exclusive content and behind the scenes footage on my own mobile home investing business. Plus, you also get discounts to special events and here's the kicker, discounts to my existing courses and classes, including a special extra discount to my Dodd-Frank and SafeAct course, especially for mobile home investors, just for members of my support page. So you definitely don't want to miss out on the special deal. So if you're interested, go to www.adventuresinmobilehomes.com support for more information on how you can support me and become a member, including all the perks you'll get that I just mentioned. Again, www.adventuresofmobilehomes.com slash support. And if you'd like to get the show notes and links to this episode, including Adrian's free gift to you, go to www.adventuresofmobilehomes.com slash 74. Again, www adventuresinmobilehomes.com slash 74. Well, that's about it for now. I hope you enjoyed this episode of my guest interview with author and mobile home investor, Adrian Smood, on the show. 
I hope you learned a lot about investing in mobile homes and land, and I hope you got a lot of valuable information from the interview. And yes, I'll be having more of these guest interviews in the future, every now and then, so stay tuned. And if you've enjoyed the podcast so far, please be sure to share it with family and friends. And be sure to follow me and subscribe. And if you have some time, please write a review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser if you've enjoyed the podcast. It really helps me to keep motivated and come up with more content to help you become a better mobile home investor. Well, that's about it for now. Until next time, this is Rachel Hernandez, aka Mobile Home Girl of the Adventures of Mobile Homes podcast, signing off. Thanks for listening.